0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fandom, What Sports Fans Actually See. I'm your host, Adam Scheinman, and I'm very excited about this week's topic, which is about winning. Our guest today is a good friend from college, Anthony Calcagni, and he's a very articulate, rational, and well-thought-out Boston sports fan. And we take a deep dive into the last 20 years of Boston's unparalleled success, with all four area teams having won championships as well as having gone to multiple finals. With Anthony's analytic mind, we talk about if Boston's success has led to an adaptation of their fans' happiness, we discuss if parody is good for sports, and we also chat about when a team wins, how it plays into their fans' levels of enjoyment or stress, and how expectations on winning can either reflect or reveal different parts of a fan's personality. So lots to cover today, and without further ado, here's Anthony Kelcagny.
1: Anthony, thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. I'm, I'm very flattered that I was asked to talk in your show.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're one of my best friends. You mean a lot to me. And I also think that you are perfect for this episode. This is our third episode. And this topic is about winning. I'm going to leave it as a blanket, just one word, winning. For the next hour or so, we're going to talk about what that entails and the questions, as well as the deep, thought-out answers of basically why we care about winning and how winning has become such a huge part about sport and then what we take in as fans. I do this with every episode but I would love to know a bit more about your role as a sports fan again it's a part of our identity that we are not tapping into these days. So in 5 minutes or so can you please tell me a bit about your journey as a sports fan and we're talking about your allegiances, but also basically the narrative of your fandom, when that started, where you are now, as well as the peaks, valleys, and I like to say maintenance, the the leveling out of your fandom. Sure.
1: Yeah. All right. So I was born in central Massachusetts. and I grew up there far enough outside Boston that I would never say that I'm from Boston, which is like a weird like self-flagellation thing I do, I think, where I I, I think of myself as from like you know, Worcester or Framingham and not Boston. But uh, that's beside the point. So I mean, as far as allegiances, I I think I probably didn't have the same set of questions to answer that you did, where you you basically you're, you're in this area, and, and you know, like you have your family, but you're, you're sort of surrounded on all sides by people who might be the enemy or might be allies, like, we're all we all pretty much cheer for the same teams wh- where I'm from. I have like, I was, I was really sort of accessing the memories that I haven't thought about in a long time when I was when I was thinking about, about what sort of we were going to talk about. And I, I, these recollections of there was this family lived across the street from us. And when I was like six, I would go over to their house, to like play video games and watch TV. And the, like the son was like, he was like maybe 10 or 12 and he was a Dolphins fan. And he, he was a Dolphins fan because he was deliberately not a New England fan. He just really wanted to to piss everybody off and cheer for everybody else. And like, he was trying to be like, Anthony, you should, you should cheer for the Dolphins. You should cheer for Dan Marino. And like, and I remember being vaguely tempted by that for a while. And my, my aunt was a Cowboys fan and she wanted me to be, wanted me to be a Cowboys fan. And, uh, but like, like that sort of all just sort of fell away at some point. And, and honestly, I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, maybe it's because my team started winning and like, I never really wanted to consider Like if the Patriots or if, if like Boston team stayed bad, maybe I would be a Dolphins fan right now. And I, and I don't actually know. And I'm not sure that I believe in my own integrity enough to believe that I would be, but I was probably like six or seven, I think maybe a little older. Yeah, like this guy, this guy was like, me, a little bit of the point. like, we never went to school together. He was just like, like, he was, the, he was the neighbor across the street who like, I would go play like, street hockey with and like, you know, play Nintendo 64 or whatever with. But like, I definitely think, and, and I suspect it's possible that I'm less of a sports fan than most of the people who you're going to talk to. Like, I love sports. I think about sports a lot. But I think that just as far as like, like, what percent of Adam Scheinman's life is sports? That answer is gonna be higher than mine. But so like, I, I really started thinking about and caring about sports, I think when I was around 10 years old. Which, which is probably fairly common. I was thinking about my first sports memory. I, I figured that was like an important thing to access. And I have, I have a very vague recollection of my dad when I was younger, sitting on like the chair in our living room uh, and yelling like, oh, come on, Bledsoe, let's go Bledsoe. And looking back, I, I think that had to have been the Patriots Packers Super Bowl. That's like, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. But like, I, I don't really consider that a, a real sports memory because like, I didn't really experience it. It was like, it was sort of me, me understanding that my dad was watching sports. My first sports memory, and, and this, this I think, very much speaks to the time that I will have had, or, or the, the the time of sports time that I've had since then. My very first sports memory was in August of 2000 when my mom got tickets for my sister and I and her to go to Fenway, which we'd, we'd never done before. And we saw the Patriots play the Rays, the Devil Rays at the time. Excuse me. Yeah, the Red Sox. My mistake. Yeah, no, they, yeah they were so good. They were actually playing baseball. And I watched uh, Pedro start. And he had, he had a bad outing, but I watched a local guy named, I believe Rico Brunia hit a walk-off grand slam. And now th- th- my, my very first sports memory is like, like w- watching from like the shittiest seats in Fenway as like the thing that you go to like watch baseball for, you, you know, like the, the, the most exciting thing that happened occurred and, you know, like just hanging out on like the T station afterwards, like, as everybody, like everybody just come from the game. We were all just shouting about, you know, Rico, but so sort of like, like from then, the way, the way I think about like my sports band that has evolved is that the way that I experience sports relative to the rest of the world sort of increased over time and it expanded over time. And I think that's probably a thing that a lot of people do. But I remember distinctly that like, I, I, I wasn't the most social guy growing up. I, I probably like, I found like a group of friends probably like junior year of high school. And I didn't do, like I, I, I wasn't too involved with sort of like my peers before then. And so, like, most of my early sports memories and, like, like, most of, like, my early sports, like, success memories are, like, watching the Super Bowls with my mom in, like, the living room or watching, like, the Red Sox break the curse in 2004 in the living room. And then, like, you know, eventually in, like, you know, like, once I, you know, got to be, like, later in high school and started, like, thinking about college and, like, like, I started, like, being friends with the people who were sports fans, you know, I started sharing that with my friends. I started like, like that sort of like expanded my sphere where like sports were not just a thing that I did. It, it wasn't like an internal relationship that I had with these teams. It was a relationship that I had with my friends of these teams. And then that expanded a lot when I went to college. And this is where this is where you come in. Because I don't know if you remember this, but on the first day of college, I was like, getting settled being like, all right, this is this is like an entirely new chapter of my life. What am I going to do? Who am I going to connect to? How am I going to connect to people? And I heard this, this guy, he was kind of loudly walking around the walking around the dorms like trying to introduce himself to people he was he was a much more outgoing guy than I was and uh it was you and you you went into Elizabeth Vasily's dorm to like you know say hello like introduce yourself and you guys were talking about how she had a Nadal poster and I was a Nadal guy and I thought to myself I remember like like doing the thing that, you, that like you see on like in like dumb sitcoms where I was like all right Anthony like you can do this go make friends like <laughs> like, like go talk to people and like and so that was the beginning of my friendship with you And that was, I think that our friendship in particular has been about sports the entire time that we've been friends. And this is around the same time that you were, you know, I I started like reading things like Bill Simmons or like, and maybe it was because I was 20 years old and maybe it was because it was 2010 or, you know, maybe it was because of just like the way that I came to things. But like, I started thinking about sports in terms of the larger world and not just my friends, not just myself. And it, it became much more about, I sort of like constantly think about in sports and like your relationship with with your teams became like a much more sort of world level thing as opposed to like an internal thing or like a thing with my peer group. And that's like an important thing that I remember from like my sports fandom was that it eventually became sort of much more all encompassing. And yeah, and I think that like sort of the only interesting change since then is probably that like, I mean, I'm a busy guy, like I have a lot going on my teams have had a lot of success. Like I like sports, but I also like television and video games and movies. And and I think that like, as I've become busier and busier, and like, it's not the case that it's like, you know, summer 2007. And I have nothing to do. And I, you know, watch baseball and play NCAA video games all day. I just sort of like, I've, I've probably started thinking about sports less over time. But like, I've started sports are still very much part of the way that I think about the world. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts about sports. And like, I sort of appreciate everything that is going on in the world of sports, but like I am less thinking about like what linebacker the Patriots are going to sign. And, and sort of that level of taking up my mental energy is sort of gone, I think, which is an interesting thing. And, and, and perhaps, and I'm, I've, I've started to explore this, is like, is that because my team's have been so successful that like I have sort of graduated from the day-to-day of worrying about it? Or is it because I'm 30 years old? Or is it because it's 2020 and there are far more important things to be worried about?
0: Yeah, I think a little bit of everything. I I, I think I took more than five minutes. Sorry
1: about that.
0: No, it's okay. It helped me and the audience get to know you a little bit better and very good fodder for a lot of questions. And because a lot of what we're going to talk about is sports fandom, Your, your identity and understanding about yourself as a fan and through the lens of winning. The way you described, yeah, maybe I stop watching less sports because all my teams have won is going to be a huge trope of what we talk about today. What the way you said it reminded me of that. There's a Jim Gaffigan joke. He hates going to the gym yes, and, doesn't, yes, 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 and doesn't understand why these nine, you know, people with 38 pack abs are still going to the gym. He's like, "Why are you still here? You're done." It's Anthony Calagany. Your teams have won. They're done, and Before we dive into how ridiculous Boston sports has been over the last 20 years, you did allude to like our friendship really having the backbone of sports. And you know that our favorite tradition is going to watch the AFC championship game for people that are listening. Well, if you're listening, you're a person that's listening. If you Anthony and I, the first of the eight straight championship games that the Patriots were involved in, we made a bet. We were at a bar in Providence, and like we knew we were graduating soon. It's like you know what? If if the Patriots make the AFC Championship game, we'll go wherever we are—New York, DC, Boston, Ryan. We'll watch that that game together. We'll make a boys' weekend. And we'll do it. Who knew that it would be eight straight years? I mean, that's that's a great way for me to. I hate to say it, appreciate Boston's dominance.
1: It was ever it was present, present in, in, your in your life me.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Through wins and losses, we we've we saw eight straight, and so yeah, I mean, I want I, I want to just take a step back about how ridiculous Boston' success is. You're obviously a very bright guy, but one of the reasons why I had you is that you're a Boston sports fan. Sure, and I think you can like kind of see where I'm going with this. We're like, we're going to dive deeply into what this Boston success is all about. So I ran some numbers, crunched some numbers, and I'm just going to go over a little bit about Boston success over the last 20 years. Again, this episode is about winning, but this can definitely be a Boston 21st century sports episode, at least for the first, first half before we talk into what this winning represents on a larger scale. All right. So, I'm going to go through some numbers Boston success over the last 20 years. And I'm going to end in the introductory episode that I have. I alluded to the fact, like, why this journey of finding out why I still like sports, it kind of detracts from me enjoying winning because my teams haven't won. And I alluded to of my four teams, Mets, Jets, Knicks, and Islanders over the last 20 years, they have combined for just four first-place division finishes among the four of them. So in 20 years, they've averaged one first-place division finish, and they have a combined 22 last-place division finishes. So four first-place division finishes, 22 last-place division finishes. A year for one a year. What, uh, yeah, yeah, one a year and one a team for, for the win for 20 years. Boston, first-place division finishes. So well, actually, let's just start with the championships. Let's get that out of the way because it's ridiculous. Over the last 20 years, not only has Boston won 12 championships spread around the four teams, they've also had six additional finals appearances. So six final losses. So yep. they have been in the finals. Uh yes. Yeah. They have I've, been I've in <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Yeah, good denial. <laughs> so that's 18 finals appearances in 20 years for the Sox, Pats, Celtics and Bruins. So you're getting one a year your team is making it to the promised land whether they win or not that's another thing still have a two out of every three 0.667 winning percentage of those 18 finals appearances but that's it 12 championships six finals appearances in 20 years but i also like to think about one a team's success throughout the regular season because while the postseason can have a little bit more randomness a regular season is a great litmus test for a team's consistency and predictability and just your ability to be like, Hey, my teams are good. And Boston first place division finishes over the last 20 years, 35. Now this is obviously heavily skewed towards the Patriots having 17 of those. Yeah. But first place division finishes, the Red Sox have five, the Celtics have seven. I forgot that they had won five straight either Atlantic or whatever it's called five straight division finishes with, KG, Allen, Pierce, and then the Bruins have six place finishes. So Boston has had 35 first place division finishes over the last 20 years. How many last place division finishes? Do you have a guess? Four. So six. Okay. Patriots, zero. Red Sox, three. Celtics, one. Bruins, two. So let's compare that. Me, over the last 20 years, four first place division finishes, 22 last place division finishes. You, my friend, 35 first place division finishes, six last place division finishes. What that means to me as a sports fan is that you can enjoy the journey. You can feel relaxed during the season. You can enjoy Sox baseball in the summer. It's a lot less stress, more predictability, more familiarity of of you know what to expect. And that's almost like a hedonic, like life well lived. And I'm just, I, I know that you I'm, – I'm just trying to think because it still flabbergasts me. Isn't it a bit much? Do you have friends or do you know of those people who watch, you know, when the Bruins and Celtics are in the playoffs and they're watching – going to a sports bar and they're watching those games every single day from April to June? Isn't that not exhausting?
1: I can do one better for you, actually. So the, the, I mean, the kind of short answer is – I mean, I, I, I honestly have no idea – how many people watch every regular season game of, of whatever sports team besides football? Because football is easy to watch, 16 games. But like, I, I couldn't tell you how many people watch. I mean, I can't imagine anybody watches every Red Sox game. Anybody, like a, a very small percentage. And similarly, you know, Bruins and Celtics. My One of my best friends from back home, Mike, his brother, Alex, who I, I used to work with when I taught tennis for like the Hudson Department of Recreation, he watched every single Bruins game. He was a Bruins super fan he would sit down in his, like, basement television area at, like, his parents' house, and he watched every single Bruins game in the same spot on the couch. And, like, and, and to some degree, like, I, I, I knew him, you know, for a while, I, including 2011 when we beat the Canucks. And, like, like, I have to imagine that as much as I enjoyed winning that, he probably enjoyed it more than I did because he, I mean, like, he, he, he sort of, like, deliberately made this mental investment and, and like, watched it pay off.
0: So he he basically he watched you saying he watched every Bruins
1: regular season game. Right? Like he made a point of it. He was like he was like I do not miss Bruins games. It does not happen. So that's like literally a hundred
0: games in a row. Yeah. That he's watching regular season plus postseason.
1: Yeah, that's insane. And and look, but, uh, I, however, like I mean, he's certainly an outlier. <laughs> yeah, but
0: Boston. I mean, what's crazy about Boston is that I I do believe it's the best sports town. And this is like as far as like the passionate, ardent fans. Before all this winning of the twenty first century, I think it's a great sports sports town.
1: Sure, yeah, I, I would say before two thousand, I have to imagine not so much the Patriots, but certainly like the Red Sox, the the Celtics, and the Bruins, like all had iconic fan bases. To be a Bostonian was to be like a Red Sox like fan. It, to like it, just from a large degree, it was. It, it, I mean, it's and like I've never lived in Boston, I sort of I experienced it from afar, but like it, it felt like it was woven into the fabric of the city.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's interesting because like. Patriots. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people know the Patriots are basically they play in between Boston and and Providence, pretty yeah, equidistant. Yeah. So they're not directly in Boston, but they do capture New England spirit. And yeah, I mean, it's just it does Boston because of where it is geographically. There's no the northern states like Vermont or like let's say Rhode Island, but like Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, those are all part of the like. Red Sox nations, Celtics, yeah, yes. Bruins, and, and obviously Pats of New England. So there is a large fan base. But yes, I mean, the city is buzzing for these teams. And That's
1: right. The you, last, you lived in Boston for a hot Yeah,
0: yeah. I lived in Boston for about eight months. My so first week. Yep. And my first week there, Patriots won their first championship on a little Malcolm Butler INT. And I know. Not, I, I drove you there. Drove, you drove me to Coors?
1: I drove you to me Boston.
0: Two. Oh, you drove me to Boston. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Oh my goodness. Because I watched the Super Bowl at Corey and, and Nikki's place. Yeah. But yeah, so that was a great awakening. So look, when did you start to know that what you were experiencing in a Boston sports fan was special? Because you, you had alluded to the years before you were applying to college or like high school, for like your junior, senior year. I believe that was around like 2007 2008 2009 and the Red Sox won in 07 and the Celtics won in 08 and you'd already experienced the Patriots three championships before was it around that time I would like to know a little bit more about when you realize like huh this is special and also like yeah no no other fan base is experiencing what we are
1: yeah I think like I've got to imagine that to some people this is gonna sound crazy but it wasn't Let's see, like, I want to get the actual dates right. So the Red Sox won their first, like, of my lifetime in between the Patriots' second and third. So that would have been late 2004, and the actual Super Bowls would have been early 2004 and early 2005. So, you know, on March 1st, 2005, the Patriots had three Super Bowls in the last four years. Red Sox had World Series and, like, a historic one, in, both in the way it happened and in sort of the history surrounding the Red Sox up until then. And I don't think it was that. I really don't. I think it was the 2007-2008 school year is kind of the way I think about it, where it was Red Sox in like the fall, and then it was the undefeated Patriots season, which you know was sort of like a thing unto itself, although ultimately was not a championship. And then it was the Celtics in 2008. That was when it, like, some degree, it was. It was you actually needed three. You need to have three sports. <laughs> like like two is not enough. it is like an actual. I think I actually believe that in, in terms of in terms of appreciating the the, the level it was because like 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 Pittsburgh had a hockey championship a football championship at the same time right and like that's not comparable.
0: Well, yeah, I think that was like in the '70s, and, and believe it or no, not, I'm I'm thinking like 2005. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What yeah, am I yeah. talking about? Like it, it was in the '70s, and also like 2005. And maybe I mean, I I. I don't think like, so because I I thought Sid the Kid won his first cup in oh nine. There's there's been a couple. There's been you, a, you,
1: you may very well be right where they might not have won one before they they might not have had one contemporaneous with the with Steelers over Seahawks and it might not have literally been the same time as Steelers over Cardinals.
0: Yeah, so, I mean that's uh, a good, that's so, a that's a good trivia question. Oh no, I think you're right. I think I think it was Steelers over Cardinals. Sorry, in oh nine that
1: Sid the Kid. Yeah, that's that sounds right.
0: Yeah, because the, the pens played the the red wings in back to back. I
1: imagine there are people who are screaming at the at the <laughs> their headphones right now. Yeah. It's, it's worth noting and and uh and this is actually this is interesting this is interesting concept because in in like American sports, especially if you are picking your team based on a geographic origin, you kind of have like a one in thirty shot every year for your four sports contingent on, you know, like, like, like obviously there are clusters there, like, like there are teams that tend to be good and teams that tend to be bad, but with basically anything else as an American, I don't necessarily feel tied to like choosing any, any team from like a non-American sport or any player from like an individual sport. And, and, and so this isn't nearly as much of an accomplishment as sort of like being a, you know, like, like having your teams win, you know, in like the American leagues. But like, I was also, I'm also a rough and a doll fan and he beat Federer at Wimbledon. Right after the Celtics, like in summer two thousand eight, and so like like my personal run actually also includes Nadal getting over the Federer hump at, and like and winning on grass.
0: <laughs> that is absurd. I, I'm excited like when we have an episode about fans of like individuals like tennis players, golfers. Oh, okay, that's, that's another, what, one, that's you're another doing? one you do. I would love to incorporate it in some episode, but because I think a lot of these. When we talk about, when I think about sports fandoms and fan base, I think of like a collective unit whose base is like a geographical location. So,
1: yeah. And, and, and like, and, and to the degree in which there is a, you know, Rafa Nadal fan base, it is the country of Spain, like maybe, or although, I mean, I imagine more than half of the Nadal fans in the world are not Spanish citizens. Right.
0: <laughs> I would agree with you. Or like Federer. Federer, is Federer Sweden? He's Swiss. So you had a, a run of winning... That I can't comprehend. I really can't. <laughs> uh, Mets went to the World Series. That was fun. Our freshman and sophomore year, Jets went to back-to-back AFC championships. That and that was a that was decade awful. ago. <laughs> yeah. 28-21. Can you okay, so we're gonna we're gonna start to dive. I mean, again, for for everybody who's new to sports, Boston has just been dominating the sports world for the last 20 years. So there's that. Okay, now we're going to talk about like just winning as a whole. And tell me about like any emotions, any type of happiness. What is it that like still lingers about winning and what is it that like kind of wanes away or habituates?
1: Sure. So, it's difficult to think about what exactly was going through my head and and how I was sort of modeling it all in my head before. I can tell you and like and maybe people who don't like Boston sports fans will gain some satisfaction here that like that the the emotion that I feel when my team win is relief. that there is an expectation that like I mean I'm sure that, that that is being literally placed on us by you know the the broad commentary sphere but it's also it's also something that like I place upon myself that like the Patriots are supposed to win and you know the like the Patriots have built this Brick wall of historic success. You know, we've been to eight AFC championships game in a championship game in a row. Tom Brady's the goat. Six Super Bowls. And like, and, and the thing is that like, like my brain is is built around like building this emotional case that is completely unassailable. That like that this was special, and this was an aberration, and this is something to sort of like cherish and remember, and like like should live in history. And so like the the Patriots winning is like like it's just oh a brick has been added to the wall. It's, it is just sort of like, I, I can rest easy. There is another year, you, you know, that is sort of like, that is completed. And like the Patriots did the thing that like, we're all hoping they do. And, you know, it's not, the, it's, it's not going to be the first year of a string of five years where the Patriots win no championships. And we all have to wonder if Tom Brady was actually that good. <laughs> it, it is like, like, it is my, like on a game to game basis of like, if, if the Patriots are in the, are in the, you know, if it's a championship game against the Chiefs, I am terrified that this is the beginning of were the Patriots that good or, or are the Patriots that good? Like, are they gone? And the thing is that like, like, I wonder if that makes me a bad Boston sports force fan because like, you would think that like, I certainly don't have a, the cockiness that I think that we're all known for. I go into every game in the playoffs, at least I don't really worry about the regular season of the Patriots, but, but but, like, I go into every game, like, terrified that like, this is the, the break in the armor. And I'm sure there are many people who would, who would love to be, uh, experiencing this torture that I am right now. But it is, there's certainly a degree of tension and agita that I experience. And it feels more as though like a weight is lifted than like, than that I am sort of like achieving this Nirvana. Um, Now, having said that, I think I've basically described like this very like safe emotional attitude that I have where like, it's really about building this unassailable case. Similarly, I have managed to take the joy that I feel from like my team's winning, and I have built up this nice, like nice cushion that I sort of sit in most of the time where like, like most of the time I get, I can just sort of like be objective and think to myself, like, we are just sort of like the Patriots are historically dominant. We are, you know, we're unlikely to see this again. It is certainly worth cherishing. It is certainly, you know, like, we have seen something special. We have seen something to remember. And like, like most of the time I can just sort of like sit in that comfy chair. But like, what feels good about winning is that I get to go back to the chair.
0: Yeah, I, I think what you're what you're discussing, and that's, that's great. The idea of relief. I don't know if it's one of those things, I, I guess, I don't know if you would call it entitlement to like winning, but, but it, I mean, when they win, it is a relief. But I think what you're, you're kind of talking about is like, you're again, being a fan is to be human, right? It's, it's tapping into these emotions that we're allowed to express in the most extreme way, whether it's crying, whether it's shouting, whether it's like throwing shit and like in both joy and anger And what you're saying is you have a great thing and you don't want it to, you don't want to ruin it. Everything is going well. You're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you, you just want to keep it going. You want to keep another gambling metaphor, keep like Andy up, keep hitting. And I don't know if that says, I don't know if, if one can learn something about themselves in terms of human psychology as like just an analogy from how you relate to winning. I know for me, I think that my sports teams have kind of made me satisfied rather than like being a maximizer. Like, I don't know what it's like to be dominant and to be at the top. But when my team goes on a surprise run, I'm like the little underdog. And it's like, yay, that was fun. Oh, I do get to wear like a shirt that says Mets National League Champion, National League Champions, where other people, Patriots would be like, fuck that, AFC champion. No, I'm not wearing that. We have six Super Bowls.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, there's certainly like a the human brain is a machine that gets used to what it's seen before. Like, yeah. And, you know, the second time you receive a stimulus, it you experience it less.
0: Yeah, exactly. And just winning as a concept in general whether we're talking about Boston or other teams that win their respective championships. I, 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 I remember reading about Greek mythology and it's when they started the Olympics or whatever, the, their athletic games, people who won those competitions, that was a means to to, to be immortal. So they knew that people were going to die. But if you won your championships and people remembered you and passed your name on from generations to generations, as long as they would say your name, like you would never die. In the same way, Babe Ruth has not died because we're still talking about him a hundred years later. And Greeks cared about immortality and they cared about using this, using sport to show who's the greatest and who will stand the test of time. And, and these teams, as we grow older, we're now going to be entering 30, our 30s 30 soon. People of this generation and people people who have seen the dominance of of Boston sports will remember this era. It's just like a player will be remembered if they win a championship. That's why I feel like it's so important for a player to just win one time, so they have that kind of immortality tag to them. But again, like I, I am, I am curious. So so let's talk about just like winning in general. Because it's not, the they, Boston's had a great run, but they don't win every time. There is a lot of randomness, and there's now more parity than ever in terms of winning the championship. We're at that age now when we've seen teams be good for an entire lifetime, whether it is the Pats or even the Yankees or the Spurs. And we've seen teams that have been bad for the last 20 years. Pirates, Cleveland Browns, if you recognize this team, the Florida Panthers of hockey, but then you have those teams that just like arbitrarily win and you don't know whether it's a trend or not, or if it's just a flash in the pan. So like, for example, this year, this blew my mind when I looked this, when I realized it, but this year, all the four major sports championships, so the Chiefs, the Blues, the Raptors, the Nationals, they all won their first championship. I know technically the Chiefs won an AFL championship, but this was their first, this is their first Super Bowl. If this happens every year, if there's a new team that breaks their drought, does that dilute winning? Does that dilute what makes winning special? Or, I mean, yeah, what are are your thoughts?
1: I think the short answer, I think, is no. That randomness and parity don't dilute the sort of thrill of victory. I think in some way that, you know, I've been trying to construct this argument in my head. I I I think the parity is good. I think the parity is good. For a couple of reasons, that, and one of them is like capitalist, like that you know, you if teams don't feel like they are winning, or if teams don't feel like they have a chance to win, like you know, I'm I'm sure that commissioners of sports leagues imagine that they are eventually going to lose, you know, dollars, and so you you need a mechanism to keep people playing the game. That I like like from a you know like if, if I was running a sports business, I would probably think about it that way. For in, in like a larger sense, I think that the the overall happiness of the system is increased by parity. For exactly this reason that we we're talking about, that, you know, the the second championship, in a way, doesn't feel as good as the first because it's, you know, it, it, it's a repeated stimulus. In, in another way, like, the second championship is, like, harder than the first because of parity, because, you know, you got a bad draft pick and because every other team circled you on the schedule. And so the second championship is a lot harder to win than the first. And so there's actually this mechanism for sort of, like, Ramping up how historical your being so good is, and and that's why like like the you know if, if you have a you know one in seven or eight chance of making the AFC championship game, chances of the Patriots making that. I mean, to some degree, you you have Bill Belichick the entire time, and that makes your team better, and and like that increases your odds. But like it's it, it's not just sort of like if it, if it was truly if you had to start over with a different team every year and like a different coach, it, it's not one in eight. It's like, like like by virtue of your success one year, you are like the the deck is against you the next year, and so it creates this system where if you are continuously winning, you can sort of like feel even more accomplished about that. And similarly, if you like, you know, let's say that your team is bad for a really long time and like eventually you have all these advantages working for you, you know, by virtue of the draft and like, like, you know, uh, you have an easier schedule and blah, blah, blah. And, and eventually you win, like, you're not thinking about that. You're not thinking about how, you know, you were, you know, the, the, the game board was tilted such that you were sort of like running downhill. And so to some degree, like it's pretty... It, it seems like kind of a no-brainer to say like like the people who are winning for the first time they like they're not going to be any less happy because it was easier, and the people who are winning for the fourth time know how much harder it was, and they're it, like like they're sort of maintaining their interest and 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 like their the joy of perhaps the fourth championship is maintained by virtue of knowing that that the fourth one was harder than the first. one.
0: So that's an that's an excellent point. Actually, I actually didn't didn't really think about it. There's the there's the novelty of winning and the memory that you'll always remember the time that your team broke the drought and that's a that joy is like a value in itself but the maintenance or at least the the upkeep is its own virtue it's its own value to be able to be at the top have all this pressure to repeat and do it yes as a fan it may have habituated it might not be the same but that's something that's pretty stellar and taps into a certain emotion i can't really describe it but it's like it does it a second or third championship when you get used to it it's like it's a different type of happiness it's a happiness that like, is more meaningful i guess less visceral
1: like it,
0: it, it, when you win the first time it's all joy and elation blah, blah, blah.
1: yeah it's, it, and it, it's an appreciation it's more it's a more longitudinal view it, yeah. it, it's sort of like like i can tell you that i i derive great comfort from being able to just think about the last 20 years of like being a Patriots fan yeah, I, I'm able to just say, like, like, this was really special. This brought me a lot of joy. This brought me a lot of great memories. And, and I can just sort of, like, appreciate it. And then I think, like, 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 just to touch on quickly, I, I think going back to your, like, the, the, a similar question about randomness. I think randomness is also good. In terms of if you want to increase the overall happiness of the system, like, mm. you know, you, you know the, the Patriots play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. Razor-thin game, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Went to overtime. Who knows what would happen happened if the Patriots settled for a field goal, blah, blah, blah you know, and and, and perhaps if, if you did this in like a mathematical simulation where they played each other a thousand times, like like the Patriots might actually have like uh, 0.501 wins out of that game. And the Chiefs might have, you know, 0.499. This obviously sort of only works on aggregate, but like the Patriots won that game. Like I was very happy. I, like I was one win worth of happy. I was not any less happy because we were very close to losing. Like, I don't, I don't know this, but like if, if I was a Chiefs fan, I would probably have taken some comfort from the notion of like, you know, we have a historically good quarterback. Like this team is good. This infrastructure is good. We can keep this going. This game had an element of random, randomness to it. Like I imagine that there are some people who feel like I said, they got zero wins out of that game, but there is a, there is a cushion to it. And, and, and granted, perhaps the point I just made is pretty bad because everything I just said was not really randomness. It was uh, it was sort of future EV. but there is perhaps. Expe- That's expected value
0: for yeah. those who yes. are <laughs> PhDs in mathematics. Okay. Okay. Cool.
1: But there's a degree to which understanding that the game is random might give you comfort on the losing side, and yet you don't really have to think about it if you're on the winning side, and <laughs> and that perhaps you know produces 1.3 uh, happiness units uh, per game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I guess you and, know there and, is and a... the thing is that everything I just said might be bullshit. That, that like 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 that 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 might be totally wrong. Like like I, I can certainly tell you that like losing a close Super Bowl, you know, like felt really shitty for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. It's one thing, but if you're a Broncos fan who lost forty three to eight in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, you might feel shitty as well. So, yeah. But it. it, But I think what you're saying is like because you know that there's parity, it makes the Patriots winning a lot more interesting. Like you might get bored. I know, like Bundesliga, the German soccer league. I think Bayern Munich has won eight straight years. Like I don't think that can be. I don't think that could be as enjoyable. Like you know, after like in eight straight years, you know. That not only you're winning, you're dominating. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine Bayern Munich just winning out on like the final game each year. They're probably winning by like at least ten to fifteen points over the second place team every year. That's yeah. I mean, it's, it's
1: like they have Dortmund probably vaguely competing with them, and then there's this. Like, and, and I'm not a German soccer expert by any means, but I believe there's a team called Leipzig that is like has a massive cash injection there, and and they are poised to potentially. Uh, Threaten at some point, but yeah, I mean, like, like they have a stranglehold. I I suspect you would find a fairly large overlap between the players who play for Bayern Munich and players who play for Germany. uh yeah, probably. I mean, um, and that was well, talking soccer. And well, well, so and 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 the thing to maybe consider there is that there isn't like we both see that from Bayern Munich success, but like there is systematically not a lot of parity in German soccer or soccer anywhere for that matter. Like, and, and this is like like an interesting social thing, and I was talking with somebody about recently that like. Was my dad. It, for all of to play a very, very high-level global political commentator, America seems pretty proud of its capitalism. And Europe, by comparison, is often seen as relatively socialist. And yet, if you look at the, the way that the sports leagues operate, you know, baseball has a draft, but like it's pretty easy to spend a lot of money. Football has a salary cap. And also a draft, like there's a massive amount of parity. Your schedule is based on how well you did last time, so your schedule is easier the next year, like there are elements of what you might call socialism in the NFL and the MLB and the American Sports Leagues. And you don't see any of that in European soccer. European soccer is free market laissez-faire, bloody capitalism. If, if if you lose, you go to a worse league with less money and your team is like just so much worse off from like a business standpoint. As far as I know, and granted, I might be completely sucking my ass here because I, I certainly don't tell like you an expert about European soccer, but it's my understanding that European soccer is to a far, far larger degree A like dog eat dog world where the system is not doing you any favors. If you are bad, you are probably going to get worse, and you are going to be you're going to suffer for it. Like like there is nothing to help you. Whereas uh, American sports leagues have plenty to help you. It's an interesting company that that I I'm unable to make any kind of cogent social commentary on, besides the fact that I noticed this thing exists. I can point at it. I can't tell you what it means or anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're. (laughs) Thank you. Soccer commentary uh soccer commentator anthony. Yeah. I know I and I think what you alluded to, like the illusion of relegation, makes makes it that much more important to avoid parody. Cause you could be like a Sunderland and have a bad season turn into a worse season and then be relegated twice. And it's a whole yeah, spiral and, and
1: and and lose lose millions on millions of dollars. I suspect not billions, but maybe billions.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's Yeah, absolutely, and I also think there's. I mean, I would love to know like the mathematical aspect of the the how the value because there are draws which are ties in soccer, but unlike in the NHL where a win is worth twice as much as a tie in soccer, it's worth three times as much. You get three points for a win versus one point for a tie. So maybe
1: there's. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, it it just might emphasize the importance of dominance a little Mm -hmm. bit more.
1: Yeah, that's, that's actually that's really interesting that like that, that in, in hockey, it's, it's not even a tie. It's, it's it's a it's a loss, like like a specific type of loss. You still get a point. Yeah. In hockey. But in, in, in soccer, like you are you are specifically celebrated for a win. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what conclusion we could draw from that. But
0: yeah, I actually I don't know why I brain farted and thought I was living in 2005 where there were ties in hockey. But you understood what I meant. Overtime yeah.
1: losses are still. Yeah, s-
0: still a point. Yeah, I mean. And I'm, I'm still curious now because this is something that like I extracurricular you have to think about is like why we care so much about dynasties, like labeling something a dynasty. And do we have to? There are dynasties and I also think that there are runs like the 2000 Marty Brodeur Devils or the the Giants, the Tim Lincecum, Matt Kane the Even Your Giants. The Even
1: Your Giants and the Odd Year Blackhawks.
0: Uh, yeah exactly and the odd year uh spurs too up until their fifth championship yeah it was uh 99 03 05 and 07 i am i am okay so i have to think about that because the media cares so much about dynasties and runs but here's a here's another question this is a hypothetical because you know i don't want to like conflate winning and championships because I, I i mentioned earlier like it's fun when your team wins and This is a topic that we could talk about for many, many, many hours and many episodes. What the Dodgers are going through, they've they've been the most dominating team for seven years, two World Series in a row, but haven't won the championship. They've just been participants. Or the Braves, 14 straight division finishes, and they won one World Series. So I would be wondering to the Braves fan if that was worth it or not. So it's, it's interesting about like the consistency of having a winning team versus like winning the championship, holding that trophy, having that whole parade. But in lieu of, like, winning during the regular season, being dominant, but not winning the championship, I have a, I have a hypothetical for you. That Golden State Warriors team, so they won three straight – or no, they didn't win three straight. They've won three champ, They won three championships out of five years before they collapsed this year. Yep. You have that 73-9 and nine team that lost – would you trade one of those championships for the 73 and 9 championship? In other words, would you instead of three championships, would you have two championships and yeah. one of those championships be the 73 and 9 team?
1: Good question. Before I answer it, like I I I think it's an interesting thing that you're touching on, like where you say, like, I don't want to talk about winning or I I, I don't want to complete winning in championships. Like, I think we do that. I think that to certainly like the hot take economy, and, and, and to some degree, I, I think it's actually baked into a lot of our brains that like that, that it doesn't matter how much you win. If you don't win a championship, it doesn't, like, you know. Yeah. You know, what you did is not, in fact, that interesting.
0: It, it all, I think it all start I think it started, it probably started earlier, but I just remember, like, the first time hearing Vince Lombardi, who the trophy's after, he, his whole thing, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. I think that was, like, a staple in Americana of, like, winning the championship is all that is. And then you have uh I think it was Pippin you it don't mean a thing if you ain't got that ring. Right. But yeah, well, I mean.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure what's the chicken and what's the egg here, but there's also I, I think that particularly in, in American sports and you, you know, like uh we we clearly got a lot of juice out of European soccer, but like mm-hmm. like in 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 European soccer like you win the league and and like there're all there's also like the the Champions League and the, and there are all sorts of cups that are like that are tournaments. But like the 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 main accomplishment I think for like the English clubs in the Premier League is you win the league. And that's a, a culmination of winning a bunch of games. It's not, there's no championship game. There's no, there's no playoffs. It's not do or die. And like American sports seem to be much more built around this concept that like, like you're going to play one game and you're going to be subject to randomness and, and you're not going to have the law of large numbers and, and you're not going to have a lot of averages uh, on your side. And, and like, are you going to win or not? And I think it's because for one reason or another, we are interested in this concept of clutch we are interested in this concept of like, in the in the absolute highest leverage moments, where your sample size is small, are you good? Or are you bad? And we, we, I think, take great pleasure as a culture in shining a light directly in somebody's eyes, and seeing how they do. And deciding that what happens is a result of their innate character, and not a result of circumstances or randomness or anything else. And that that is, that's actually really important to us that we are, we are interested in being able to draw a result from a very small set of very high leverage data. And I think that that is why we like championships. I think that's why our championships are built the way they are, because I, I think there's no doubt that if, if the team that won the, the NFL season was the team that got the most wins in the regular season, then you would certainly see, you know, there, there wouldn't be Cinderella stories, it would it, it, like, it would seem boring to us. But like it would, it would basically be the team that sort of like you know day in and day out goes out and executes, like is is the team that's successful. But like, but but we are interested in unforeseen outcomes, perhaps. Like, like like, 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 like we we are interested in in this notion that like behind the thing that you're doing day in and day out, there is this concept of like, are you good under the lights or not? And that is, and that, it's a similar notion to like why we are judging people based on their number of championships because it's this very small piece of data that is incredibly high leverage, and it is often subject to sort of like other circumstances but it's this thing that we've decided is a thing
0: i never thought about like that but it's true this whole concept of like putting someone in the spotlight having the best teams the best players in these do or die situations and what can come from it is a bunch of highlights and classic moments where you might not get that in like a non-tournament style way of deciding who's a championship right like i i'm sure there are other examples other than sergio aguero Scoring the goal for Man's, you know, Man City to win—that's like as buzzer-beatery playoffs as you can get in a regular season, because like we there are play-in games or whatever, one-game playoffs. And now there's the one-game wild card, but so you have like the reg that regular season at the buzzer component. But really, the postseason is supposed to just magnify who's supposed to be there, and like you were saying, who's clutch, and it's almost in a way like who has the this ability to to be immortal. And yeah, I mean, a lot of great highlights exist in playoffs, especially highlights that are like YouTubeable and just those are the ones that like stand the test test of time. I think regular season is fun for like stats and records, who has a perfect game, who hits four home runs in a game, you know, stuff like that, uh, who has hat tricks. But when you come down to it, the playoffs is a totally different playoffs and postseason is a totally different beast. And in going back to that, do you trade a championship if you're the Warriors fan? I mean,
1: the question I did not answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, I I, I think it's I, I like it because I think it's a it's a Rorschach it's a Rorschach test. Do are you the type of Yankee fan who is 27 championships the same as 26 championships without that best team ever of 98?
1: Yeah, the that, Ma- well, yeah, yeah. So like, so the the the, the version <sighs> of this question that's most applicable to me is like, do you give up the the Rams Super Bowl or the other Rams Super Bowl or the first Eagles Super Bowl to get 07, to get 19-0? And I think the answer is, I think the answer is an emphatic yes. You would be fine with Brady having five rings
0: and winning if, that. If,
1: if, if, if one of them was 19-0, yes. Now, if you asked me this in 2008, when we'd, we'd be talking about two rings, maybe not. Very interesting. That, and, and that's because I, I think that I am fundamentally a risk-averse sports fan. I, I am fundamentally seeking safety. And and seeking shelter, and I'm five is not meaningfully different from six. Two is meaningfully different from three. Um, I mean, that's that's your frame of reference. It's arbitrary. (laughs) I know the mathematician in you is yeah, like like obviously shiny. Five is not meaningfully different from six.
0: (laughs) No, but just the mathematician is like, yeah. I mean, three is what? Well, three is fifty percent. <laughs> three,
1: three. Be, be, be careful! We're we're back into Shani and Tony's math corner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god, this is a scary corn bean. So three is what fifty percent more than two. Yep. Am mm-hmm. I doing that right?
1: Yeah, and and six and is twenty percent more than five.
0: Okay, got it. So yeah, so that's where our big math brains are coming into play. No, but like I think of like the Canadians, and the Yankees, and the Celtics. Does it matter if you have sixteen or seventeen championship, or do you want that one team to be? forever lore and i can't believe my brain went around talking about the the patriots of 07 for the warriors when this is a boston episode but that's a that's a great point so your answer is knowing what you know now you want that 19 and 0 team have, fine with brady having five championships but you don't you're not sure if you would have taken that if you only had three championships had to substitute for two
1: yeah i like in 2008 i'm not sure that i would have traded the the Panthers and the Eagles for the Giants. Got it. Got
0: it. Yeah, I mean, look, that's, and that goes back to like a narrative. No one really remembers like the Panthers. Great, you beat Jake Delhomme. Cool. To lose to Eli Manning twice, though, that's pretty, that's, that's such a bizarre. I, 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 that's just very weird. A lifetime 500 quarterback. I don't know. This sports. because,
1: Because, I mean, he threw two of the most high leverage successful throws and, and like we can even go deeper than the games to like the throws like like the manningham throw on on like their final drive in 2011 and the yeah. helmet catch those were like like massive changes in like the win probability on the order of one play and like you know what are the odds that they actually go that way what are the odds that you know rodney harrison or asante samuel or or whoever it's, it's been forever now and i feel like they both had a drop interception on that drive too but like like if those just don't happen like it's i mean it is we've decided to take this one data point and believe very strongly in it. And that's just the way that goes. And I I recognize right now that I'm, I'm probably undermining every point I made about randomness earlier in this this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And and like, I mean, I'm I'm, like, I have that meatball brain too, where like, where I, I very much like, 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 like I love, that uh, Malcolm Butler, you know, the ball. I love that the pagers came down from 28 to 3. Like, like the fact is that I, I've been on the right side of so many of these small pieces of data that, and like, and I can't deny that I get a massive dopamine hit whenever I think about them. And so uh, I can't really condemn them. Although like my math analytical brain says like that ultimately there's a little bit more intellectual honesty in like the, you know, pr- premier league system where, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's really about like, you know, of these, uh, w- what, 38 games who wins the most but you're grappling i mean
0: get in you have like you're grappling rational with emotional
1: yeah right and, and, like and, and and the whole point the, is that is that we're, we're not supposed to do that in sports and no and like and uh and and as much as i like i appreciate like the the way that you know the degree to which mathematics has entered uh has, has entered the sports world like i i can't deny that like like i am you know a, a meatball fan to some degree i mean look
0: i i think that with the giant uh, the the giants two victories over the patriots it, it is it is kind of an outlier but also like the 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 scar on the dynasty it's not just it's not just the way you lost it's not just 18-1 <laughs> you want to paint the narrative it's new york versus boston yeah, no it is yeah and the, and you had a second chance
1: to do it and doofy eli manning yeah no we we, we did i i i remember distinctly there was like there was this poetry that I believed very strongly in that like that the 2011 Patriots took care of all the family business because they they beat the Ravens in the championship game after losing to them in the playoffs two years earlier they beat the oh god we're we're, we're getting a little chargers I'm, chargers I'm it was you're talking the 18 and out. it was chargers the championship no, no, game. no no i'm 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 talking about the i'm talking about the, the 2011 team the the 2011 team beat ravens. the ravens yeah they beat the ravens in the championship game in the billy cundiff Yep, in the in the divisional, it must have been the Broncos, and and the Broncos beat us no six with the with the championship interception. That was really a touchback when when. Den uh... Watson.
0: The ben. the Broncos. Now that I'm in Denver, that is Denver, and Miami. Like I don't know what's going on. I don't know if Brady can't play in like weird weather. It's either too hot. Hopefully it's. I mean, imagine if he goes to Tampa Bay and it's like, oh, what plagued me in Miami is plaguing me in Tampa Bay. He just can't play in the heat. But like the Bron- like I don't know if it's the altitude, but like I mean the Broncos beat him in the playoffs three times in Denver once with Jake Plummer, that was the, the champ yep. Bailey that's that's another weird thing, and, and like the same way that the, the the Giants always gave the the Patriots a, a competition.
1: yeah, the, the, like... the, Ra- the Ravens beat us twice, the Giants beat us twice, the Broncos yeah. beat us three times. Yeah, that really must be it, right The, the Titans uh, certainly never beat us. <laughs> I like, besides the one time, obviously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's again you're grappling with with winning. It's rational versus emotional. Yeah, I, I fuck. I mean, we talk about the pages all the time. I just think of Boston sports in general. Like, if you're a Red Sox fan that's 50 fifty, sixty, seven years old, and the, and I tell you the Red Sox will win four times in. 15 years, that's a different lifetime. That's that's crazy for me to if I was a Red Sox fan, I was that old to tell them that, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here.
1: Yeah, and that's and especially for those like older fans. And like like this is the thing I I remember seeing it was like a Mets fan who was talking about because it, it was a guy like you who's a a Mets fan and a Jets fan. And so he obviously had a sort of like odd relationship with with Boston fans because Red Sox fans, at least up until 2004, were, you know, like the lovable losers. Like they, they were snake bitten and, and, and like, and they, 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 couldn't get over it. They were like, they were the little brother of the Yankees and they just like, they were, they were cursed. And, and it was like, like, I, I, I love these guys. I love these fans. They're, you know, like, like they're fun and they're relatable, but then Patriots fans are, you know, these cocky assholes. Cause the Patriots, but, but it's so- the same people. Because the
0: Patriots get in the way of Jets fans' happiness, especially in in a in a sport where if you win the division, you make the playoffs and make it much more difficult for the other teams in your division to make right, the playoffs. Right. Right. And they're no, you know. no good. No. no, I was gonna I was gonna say it's like it's so incomprehensible, you know, because the, the Jets in the in the early two thousands they had like a nice run of like the Herm Edwards Mangina years where they made the playoffs like once every other year. I think they made it 4 out of 9 years even before and then there was the back-to-back AFC championship games. And I think about like the last time the Jets had a playoff home game was 2002. Why they made the playoffs like 6 times since and they've won playoff games and they did all their dirty work with Mark Sanchez on the road, but why did they not have a playoff game? Why have Jets fans not seen a home Jets playoff game? because of the Patriots yeah the that's I mean that's why I hate the Patriots they are an
1: obstacle I marvel at their oh, success yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no, you, they you, are an obstacle you, in my way you're not supposed to like the Patriots in fact like like nobody's yeah. supposed to like the Patriots except <laughs> right though. right um, the the,
0: but, the relationship. I will say the relationship is that the Red Sox is very different because as a Mets right. fan well, well,
1: well no that's like the, that that's what it's, got, that it's like like if you're a Mets Jets fan like oh Red Sox fans I love those guys Patriots fans I hate those guys but
0: if, no but I, but I think the reason behind a, like rooting for the Red Sox is because Buckner happened to us because we beat you guys. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, don't think there's a strong correlation if we don't have 1986 and have that like, Oh geez, the Red Sox handed us the world series kind of, well, Not yeah, really, I like the Red Sox, the Red Sox choked. It's so wild that people don't know about Bob Stanley's wild pitch as much as they know about Buckner. Bob Stanley Had the lead in the bottom of the ninth, needed one out to go, and there was a runner on third. Needed to get one out, and he threw a wild pitch. All he had to do was not like get the guy out, but he threw a wild fucking pitch, and that's how Kevin Mitchell scored the tying run. No one talks about Bob Stanley. Talk about like sports writing or a narrative gone awry. Buckner, this error is a little more vivid in our minds, but. The real goat is the relief pitcher who threw a wild, that's a choke. That is, they're both yeah. chokes, but. Yeah, that's a that's,
1: that's a high leverage play right there. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I think, I think we should wrap up because I mean, you and I can talk about this for a while. Yeah. But the way that I always end the show and thanks again for joining. This has been awesome. And even in our like drunkest moments at college, I don't think we've ever had a conversation like this. It gets me to know a little bit more about your mindset, how sports fandom is a projection of certain dispositions and traits that are part of you outside of sports. And again, that's part of why I want to do this podcast is to learn a little bit about ourselves through the role, through the lens of being a sports fan. And the way I like to end is I always do that whole South Park mocking thing where Stan and Kyle at the end of every episode say, you know what? I learned something today. And I'm wondering what you can share that through this last hour that you learned about yourself, about winning and something that you can take home once we end this conversation.
1: Yeah. So I think that I learned that I maybe have more of a complicated relationship with arbitrary single outcomes and with randomness than maybe I thought I did. And that maybe like, like it's, it's very easiest as like the, you know, in the same way that like history is written by the winners, like, like it's, it's very easy to decide like, Oh, like, like I have six Super Bowls Like, we were the better team. We were the dashing, charismatic, you know, victors who came in and and uh, defeated my opponent. And and like and, and obviously, like consciously, you 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 don't like like the second you really think about it, that bubble kind of disappears. But I think maybe subconsciously, like like the fact that I sort of defended the randomness first is maybe a little bit of, a, of an indication that that I have some more digging to do here.
0: You're defending that randomness is good, and then yeah,
1: or, 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 yeah, or at least that like that you know that that the the sort of randomness function produces acceptable outcomes for both sides. Like like perhaps, perhaps that's because like the only reason I think that's because I have not really been on the other side.
0: <laughs> that's a great way. That's Cocky Boston in the end, Anthony, much- Cal- <laughs> Anthony Calcagni. I'm not one of those cocky people, but he basically yeah, this, says.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, uh, I, there was a period of time where I, 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 I thought for a while about like the sort of the best way to approach the fact that like, I am like a, a privileged fan in terms of, like, making people not hate me. I think the fact that I was trying to do that is a really good reason to hate me. <laughs> like, that perhaps I should just sort of appreciate the fact that there's there's absolutely nothing I can do about the fact that I'm in the position I'm in, and people are going to hate it, and that's fine.
0: Yeah. I also... I, I learned that, like... I think that you're a more palatable, digestible sport, Boston sports fan because you your, your platform is about alleviating pain, and it's about relief, where... I think a lot of other people may feel entitled and that going into the season, we're number one. It's a given. And you're like, well, we have to defend it. We have to work at it. And like when they win, it's relief. You can still celebrate. You can still be happy, but it's a different kind of... It's not as obnoxious.
1: Are, Are you saying that I'm one of the good ones?
0: Anthony Kalkagny, one of the good ones. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it.